Hello, welcome to Locked On Suns, part of Locked On Podcast. And there were Tiz, I was your host, Evan Sider, and joined by co-host Brennan Clean. You can follow me on Twitter at Esider. You can follow Brennan on Twitter at BrennanClean14. Also, make sure to follow Locked On Suns Twitter page if you aren't already at Locked On PHX Suns. Your support of it is very much appreciated. We're back with you guys on our usual Monday episode. We were with you not yesterday for the Pistons game for the usual recap. We're going to trust we're going to touch on that in the very first segment here today, but. We're also going to touch more broadly on the Suns in the past few games over the past few weeks, to me more exactly. We're going to touch, like I said, more on the Pistons game from yesterday, but also about Devin Booker and his recovery and his overall improvement, but also what else has improved and then changed for the team over the past few weeks. So, Brennan, I know yesterday's game, the Suns did lose yesterday, 118 to 107 to the Detroit Pistons. The Suns are now 4 and 15 on the season, 1 and 9 on the road. They should really, for their road trip, I know you covered it in your story today, Brennan, but with the way the Suns have been playing recently on that road trip, they easily could have walked away either 3-1 and one or 4-0, and oh, but instead they walk out 1-3. and three. Yeah, it's a weird little, some twists and turns that ended up kind of screwing them in, in a way, just between a weird decision to go back to their old starting lineup for one night against Chicago, I think kind of cost them that game to a certain extent and some lack of execution in the fourth quarter of a couple games, that one and Philadelphia. Um, And then obviously TJ Warren being ejected from the Sunday game against Detroit, you know, if he's there and providing his typical production, you would imagine they win and what ended up being an 11 point game that really was decided in the fourth quarter. So it's a, you know, it's a good sign, I guess that they did play so well, not great to have that improvement come and still only have a two and four record to show for it. But I think the optimism comes just knowing that they can continue to, you know, maintain, even if they maintain the level of play they've been at for about a week or two now, they can really win some games here soon. Cause they have some easier opponents. They have a long home streak coming or, you know, more games at home than they have in a while and some an opportunity to kind of show it in the win column a little more. What really surprised me and what I didn't even notice until I read in your story today, Brendan, was how the Suns are being more, way more efficient on both ends of the ball. The Suns are, I believe, from your story, 15th offensive rating, and they're right around the same area for defensive rating. For me, I mean, when you see, obviously, the, the point differential is still not good for the Suns. They've had a few blowouts here and there from way back in the season. But over the past few weeks, we've seen a, a really drastic shift as far as competitiveness goes. And I really think unless – I feel like the Suns have turned a corner, so to say, where unless they really just are on a bad night and Booker and Aiton and all those guys are not on, I feel like this is a team now where I, I feel like they're turning a corner, so to say, where I, I just don't see them getting blind here anytime soon. No, I think that's definitely – I mean, the Pistons aren't a great team, but, you know, another good challenge for the Suns, and I think they, you know, showed what you would have, what you would have hoped – coming out of the Milwaukee win. Obviously the Milwaukee is a better team. If you kind of pro uh, pro uh, protract out from there, you guess like, okay, they're, they're probably going to beat Detroit. Uh, Ideally that didn't happen of course, because of what we talked about a second ago, but yeah, I think, you know, their ability to at least stay in all these games is really the biggest sign. And that actually was happening for me a little while before, but um, there were some continuing signs that have stretched even weeks for uh, weeks before now with DeAndre Ayton 
continuing to just be incredibly efficient. 11 of 13 from the field yesterday, four offensive rebounds, creating easy shots for himself and developing chemistry with some of the other guys, especially Devin Booker to get open shots created for him. Um, And I just think, you know, some of the stuff on the margins too continued last night from Josh Jackson, just being a pretty solid 20 minute guy for the past three or four games now and and getting back on track, even if he's not the, the superstar you hope for with the number four pick, he's at least a productive rotation piece. And that especially came in handy when TJ Warren was out of the game for so long yesterday. Really quick on the rotation as well, that is really starting to stick out like a sore thumb, in my opinion, over the past five to six games. Isaiah Kanan is becoming nearly unplayable at this point. He's not even really being a point guard. He's more of a combo guard, more of just a catch-and-shoot guy, which it really he has been over the past few weeks, even more than that six-game stretch. But what do you think of Kanan and his future with the Suns overall and also the rotation? Because over his past five games, he's shot only 21.8% from the floor. He, he's really been a huge net negative out there with a total plus minus and minus 50 over that span. So if you're Igor, what do you do here? Because, I mean, you see a guy like Jamal Crawford yesterday, four away from the field, three or four from three and 12 points in 26 minutes. And then Josh Jackson, like you said, had a good game as well. And Rashawn Holmes had another good game. But of the nine-man rotation, Isaiah Cannon is the guy that's really sticking out where you're really questioning why he's still getting minutes. Yeah, I think it's it's even could come sooner than we think. One thing, despite some puzzling decisions here and there from Igor Kokoshkov, I think one thing he has been pretty good about on the whole, considering we're only, you know, 20 games, less than 20 games into the season, and we've already seen some pretty big uh, rotation changes. So I think, you know, he does have a pretty quick trigger once it becomes apparent that it's not working. And you could obviously make the case that that's been true for a while of Isaiah Kanan, but. Between D'Anthony Melton and Elia Kobo, kind of for different reasons, still rounding into shape. I think that that decision to get those guys in the lineup to replace Kanan might not be completely up to Kakashkov at this point. I think there might be some, you know, control over their development coming from above him. But, you know, once he gets that green light, if it is an organizationally kind of agreed upon thing at this point, I think we'll see it quickly because between Mikhail Bridges starting, Ryan Anderson being completely eliminated from the rotation, Jamal Crawford playing more and more, even Dragon Bender never really being a part of the rotation as soon as that option got declined. I think there there has been a quick trigger on some of those moves that need to happen. So I think it looks bad now, but it could be something we look back on and we're like, oh, that was bad for five or six games, and then they fixed it because you know I do trust Kakashkov. But Kanan... Yeah, in the past um, seven games, he's had three where he didn't make a single field goal. That's pretty bad. That's that's like, you know, back to being a questionable NBA player level after being so good in the preseason and to start the year. He's already back to wondering if he really has a spot in the league with how few ways he really impacts the game if that shot's not going in. I know you mentioned there are two rookie point guards, Okobo and Melton, but has it surprised you at all that Igor, it seems like, doesn't trust Troy Daniels because it's, he's a career 40% three-point shooter. He offers, I think, the same amount of defense as Isaiah Kanan does. Are you just surprised that he hasn't gone to a guy like Daniels just yet? Because I think he could provide just that, like last year when Booker needed that guy out there, space for him and other guys, like I think Jamal Crawford needs some more help in the second unit. I think he makes a lot of sense in that situation. 
Yeah, I do. I mean, I think especially when Booker is playing point guard and the guy that, you know, in Crawford's mainly his backup. So the role is kind of changed for what you're looking for out of that position. And I think Daniels does fill it to a certain degree. I think if I had to just kind of guess based on what we saw last year from him, um, he's just a, a pretty bad ball stopper a lot of the time. And I think that's an, a real no-no in Kokoshkov's offense. I just think not only, you know, there's guys who just take shots and that's fine. Kyle Korver is not a playmaker and he's uh, you know, made a living being a really productive scorer. It's just, knowing what the smart play is. And I don't think Daniels always sees that. And, and it just hampers the offense in any situation, but especially in a system that is so predicated on finding open shots and, and, you know, reversing the ball and kind of probing the defense. Daniels is not that kind of player. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you talk about Daniels as a defender. He's not that great at all. Like you mentioned, but Yesterday in the game, T.J. Warren was ejected. He only played 15 minutes, had six points on three of eight shooting. Mikhail Bridges played 34 minutes, two points on one of eight shooting. And Ariza was with five points on one of five field goal attempts in 36 minutes. So I tweeted this out once Once I saw a little bit of the game and I watched a little bit more of it when I got back from um, my travel day yesterday. And what stood out to me was I just overall, and just in a broader sense, when you have – Booker and DeAndre and put up 62 points on 67% shooting. I think they're still missing that one quote unquote star piece. That's that, that secondary option that could help those guys out. Because I just think at this time, TJ Warren's a great, like a really a great third option in my opinion. But I think this team needs just one more piece. Like we've always been talking about, like not like a, we're not advocating for like a John Wall trade or anything, but someone like a, a all-star or around that caliber, I think is a, uh, a really a piece that uh, um, guys like Aiden Booker really need on this roster. Yeah, I think, you know, and that is part of what makes it so frustrating for me, especially yeah, you, you'd think just kind of looking over the box score, 52 points, 17 rebounds, seven assists between the two of those guys. And Aiden actually made an impact as a uh, rim protector a little bit more yesterday too, against their, the Pistons huge front line of Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin with three blocks. So uh, you you just hate to let a game like that go to waste when those guys are at the top of their powers and and kind of have that that two man game going so well. But I, I mean, I think to me that that kind of is what makes it even more frustrating when you see the Canaan situation and just the overall point guard kind of oddities this year. Not only not trading for anybody to supplement the roster, but also seeing Okobo and Melton both be on the bench. I mean, Okobo was really bad. I think the rest of the roster has kind of stabilized in a way that he's not going to be much worse than what they currently have. And the rest of the guys kind of have figured it out a little bit and he's not going to be such a detriment because, you know, at this point it's not going to get much worse. So I think knowing that they need somebody else to pop and it's unlikely to come immediately in the form of a trade, that to me spells exactly why you should be giving Melton and Nakobo some time because I think optimistically those guys have potential to get to that level. You know, maybe it's their very top ceiling to be an all-star, but those guys were both really highly touted prospects. The Suns ended up with both of them and we don't get to see any of them almost every night. It is a little bit weird to go in so heavily on the youth in some areas, you know, dedicating Josh Jackson. He's got to get it figured out. He's got to get figured out. He's still going to get minutes. But then on the other side, you know, we don't see those two really at all. It is a little weird and and kind of, you know, 
holding them back, I think, almost as much as maybe long-term more than short-term, but holding them back almost just as much as not making a trade at this point because they're not making best use of their assets. Yeah, guys like Kobo and Melo, I think, deserve a shot here really soon. But is there anything else you want to hit on as far as yesterday's game goes and the Pistons 118-107-107? No, let's uh, move on to Booker. Alrighty, sounds good. Before we do that, though, folks, I want to tell you guys really quickly about our Locked On NBA Net national Twitter account. If you guys are not already following at Locked On NBA Net, you should already be doing so because it's a valuable resource, in my opinion, as far as you follow everyone outside of me and Brennan. You'll usually see it almost every time we tweet something. We'll always be on there. It's synced up with all of our, our Twitter accounts for every Locked On NBA national host and our local Twitter accounts for guys like Locked On Suns and the other shows around the network, which are really, really great. And if you're not already, make sure to follow at Locked On NBA Net because we have so much great hosts and we have so much really valuable information, in my opinion, that you should already be following them at Locked On NBA Net. All right. So with Booker, I think the the main thing is, it, I guess it, it kind of goes to show, right, how touchy and, and individualized the recovery from hamstring injury can be because it feels like the the basically what right before Philadelphia probably our last episode before that game we were talking about being concerned that the injury was taking a while to heal and not progressing like you would have hoped and then all of a sudden he puts this stretch together and it looks like nothing's wrong at all so I mean maybe the real lesson here is just to uh, trust the guy whose body is going through it and he was saying all along, you know, I'm fine. I'm getting better. It's it's not it's not really affecting me. And then, sure enough, he puts together this stretch, and it's tough not to believe him. What I've noticed on this stretch as well, Brennan, is that he's taking a lot more shots, and the ball's moving a lot less. Do you think that's by design now with how they're doing more and more point book? I think so. I mean, I think it's a byproduct too of of just trying to get Booker and Aiton in position. That's their two best offensive players really you know I mean as far as creating mismatches making plays for the rest of the team those are the two guys who can do that the best and getting them in position to complement one each one another and open up space for everyone else together at the same time I think you know running pick and roll between those two guys has become much more common and it's obviously working so um, I think you know it's kind of a combination of the point guard switch having Booker technically you know start there and also just you know the other guys not really being up to it to be honest so it's whatever it is I think it's a combination of a bunch of different things but he is uh kind of coming into his own a little bit and I I don't think it's a coincidence we've seen his best stretches come when they play this way so I think it's about adapting to that now rather than trying to fit a square peg into a round hole over the past 10 days uh, according to stats to nba.com Booker's averaging just over 25 points, eight assists per game. The only other player in the NBA doing that over the same time frame is James Harden. So the Harden and Booker are the only guys that average 25 points, eight assists. What can you say, Brennan, just about his improvements playmaking-wise? Because it seems like the more and more he's playing at the one, he's getting more comfortable at just reading things and surveying the landscape, so to say, and waiting for his time to pick pick his spots. I think that's really something that I noticed differently compared to last year when I know Jay Trout went to it around January. But Booker really did not have to pick his spots. Then he he was kind of confused at some points of how to handle some traps and all that. But it seems like nowadays, a year later almost, that he now knows how to really make his way around a defense, and especially for a, a really almost all the defenses in the NBA are now t- really locking in on him as the number one guy. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely, I think, having to figure it out kind of on the fly, figuring, you know, managing that attention, knowing kind of the how to pick his spots and, and not tire himself out, I think is really the biggest thing too, especially kind of corresponding with that injury and recovering from that right as this change goes on is I think we see it with every great, you know, really high usage scoring point guard scoring playmaker is they just have to figure that out. There's at a certain point, you know, you want to win games and that's your best player. That guy's going to need to adjust and, and overcome the physical toll it's going to take on him because, you know, we've seen those same excuses and uh, concerns with, with James Harden in two straight years of playoff series. Now he's, he's dropped off. And obviously, I'm you know this is the opposite that's happening for Booker right now. But you could argue that the situation, the the stretch before this one, could be a physical thing. It obviously really looked like it was, and I think that's just going to be something he has to manage kind of throughout the rest of his career if he's going to take this big of a burden on. Because you know Steve Nash, another guy, Chris Paul, those guys just they're going to get nicked up, and it's going to be a huge toll on their body to go through 82 games, handling the ball and scoring as much as they're going to have to. And I think Booker's in that class now. And I think he's learning to do it a lot better. I mean, he's so the past six games, the stretch that I wrote about today on bright side of the sun, he's 25 points, 8.1 assists, 3.4 rebounds per 36 minutes shooting 46% from the field, which is really solid and shooting eight threes a game on top of that. And we've talked for a while about how, getting up those threes really kind of unlocks another element for him. And I think the the ability to be that high level assist guy while also putting up as many threes as he's managed is the biggest kind of statistical symbol of his growth. What do you think also just another trend notice of Booker over the past few weeks is since he's taken over more of the primary ball handling duties is with the ball more in his hands is actually shooting the ball a lot more. He's, I think he's shooting around 22 and a half, almost 23 attempts per game over that span. He shot 24 on Sunday. What do you think about him being even more in a, a usage role? Because I think his usage right at the moment is around 32 or 33 and that's right near the top five again. So I, I can't, you can't really blame Igor for using him in this way because you really don't have what guys like Kanan and Crawford and not using a Kobo or Melton. They really don't have any, any really much else options to do. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's their best plan right now. I think it's really their best option. And, you know, I've said before, I just don't think DeAndre Ayton's, he's not a shot creator. You know, as much as he has the physical advantages, even against, you know, veteran NBA centers at this point in his career, he's he's not a guy who can go in the post and create efficient offense. It's really only Booker. TJ Warren's the same same way he needs to be set up he needs to get out in transition spot up from three you know cut into the lane he's not a guy who's gonna isolate and and make a a big shot so it's really only booker right now and i think you know it's it's a ton of pressure to put on him but it's working right now and i think you ride that because it's just an adjustment he's going to need to make um just for perspective too kind of before we close out the segment the craziest stat of all that I, I wrote about today was over these past six games. And that this is from the Spurs blowout win um, until <clears throat> the most recent Detroit game this is the past six. The Suns are 20.8 points worse with Devin Booker on the bench 
Um, they see, yeah, so 20.8 point swing, depending on if he's on the court or off of it. That's just crazy. I mean, it's crazy just to see the number and to kind of put it in perspective how much of an impact he's having. But quietly as well, it's also a really positive sign for his just growth as a player and the, the ability of the front office and the team to kind of start to construct something that makes sense around him because the, despite his incredible productivity and efficiency for the most part over the first part of his career, that stuff's never been there for him. He's never been a guy that's a huge on-off impact on the team or you know just a, an incredible value piece for the Suns just because they've been so bad and the way he's gone about getting his points hasn't always been the most productive or the most efficient. So it's a big sign for both the team and him that it's going that way so quickly and in such a hurry. Yeah. Over that same span, those six games, I looked at the impact side on NBAstats.com and he has a higher net rating over the same span than LeBron James. So I think it kind of says a lot about how huge of an on-off impact he's having, but anything else you want to know as far as Booker goes? No, we will, uh, Talk a little bit more about some of the other things outside of Booker that can continue for the Suns to keep playing well. But before we do that, I want to tell you guys one more time about the great stuff going on over at Locked On NBA, the national show on our network covering the entire league. So whether that's um, Carl Anthony Towns playing well without Jimmy Butler or you want to know what's up with the Magic. Why are they like around 500 all of a sudden? The Suns play them Friday. All that stuff will be covered on this show. Um, we do Mondays with the local experts on the biggest stories. That's with Josh Lloyd of locked on fantasy basketball. And we have Sam Amick of the athletic and Ben Golliver of sports illustrated chiming in throughout the week for their perspective on some of the biggest games and storylines, as well as now Trevor Booker of the Utah jazz and several other teams over his long NBA career, having a year off right now to recover and kind of find a good situation. He's going to be, giving his input from the player side of things on our shows as well, from the Locked On NBA show down to the team shows. But for now, go to Locked On NBA, rate, review, subscribe, get Booker, Amick, Golliver, and all of our great hosts at the Locked On Network as well. All right, so the, the main one to me, I, maybe this isn't like the biggest reason, obviously, but it stuck out to me as far as floor spacing and and just becoming the shooting team that the Suns were supposed to be when they put this roster together, especially after the Ryan Anderson trade. And obviously he's not been part of this upsurge, but uh, it's good to see them get back to that identity that I think they were hoping to have. And that's Trevor Ariza. He's over these past six games made 41%, 40.8, but 41% of his three point shots. And he's attempting five and a half a game. So that was a really big weakness for this team. Ariza was, a below a far below average offensive player for quite a while early in the season. And since he came back from the personal time away from the team, he's been exactly what you would hope and making those threes really forcing the defense into tough decisions with that eight and Booker two man game working. Ariza's also pulling a defender toward him and really making it hard. And I think he's quietly a big reason why they've, you know, gotten a lot better these this past couple of weeks is just knocking down shots as simple as that sounds. I know TJ Warren's been the man of consistency over the past few weeks and really almost the entire season, but over that same period like you've been mentioning and then you mentioned your story today as well, has Ariza been the third best Sun player outside of Booker and Aiden? Yeah, I think it kind of seems that way. I think 
Warren has been a little bit below his usual standard over the road trip. He wasn't, you know, he, we didn't see any 30, 40 point nights that we know he's capable of. And I think Ariza getting back to the two way dominance was really helpful. So, I mean, I think it's between those two guys, especially with Mikhail Bridges, not really doing it on a nightly basis. Um, but either way, I mean, I think it just speaks to their depth, which I think we were hoping also would be a, a, an, a, an identity, at least a piece of it for the Suns was having three, four, five guys on the wing that you could rely on. And that's kind of coming back into reality now, especially with Ariza developing back into his usual self. I'm glad you brought Mikhail Bridges there because really quick, I just want to go over his numbers over these past six games. He's averaged in 28 minutes, 7.7 points, and also 1.7 steals over and about half a block a game. So he's not really doing much scoring the ball, but his defensive impact is still there. Do you feel like, and also overall his plus minus is uh, 2.7 if people want to know that over that stretch, but do you feel like having Mikhail Bridges out there in the starting lineup, Brennan, has really helped a guy like Trevor Ariza because we always touched on Ariza's effort defensively, at least it, it waned off after the first game because in that starting lineup, he didn't have anyone really else to help him out defensively and actually keep it consistently going. But having a guy like Burgess out there is actually really helping buoy up guys like Ariza and helping revive his efforts as have at him. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Bridges is just his ability to defend point guards, just defend the smaller players that, I mean, well, that's one of the frustrating things you hear people talk about Booker and how, um, and I think there is maybe something to him personally not wanting the tax on his body of playing point guard. That is one explanation I would buy as to why we haven't seen it more or why it took a while or whatever. But one that I don't buy is, oh, it's going to make Booker so tired to defend opposing point guards. That's not something he does if he doesn't have to. You know, They've done a good job throughout the entire season from Dennis Schroeder to, I don't even know, Mike Conley, not making Booker defend those guys, even when he is the smallest offensive player on the court. Um, he's not going and having to chase around these athletic point guards. So that's just not true. And I think Bridges is the main reason why. And he's kind of replaced Josh Jackson as the guy most capable of doing that with his length and quickness. How exciting, just in a broader term, because I saw this on Twitter today. I believe it's from Justin Russo, who covers the Clippers over for, for them. I, I think Dave King quote tweeted the tweet, but... I think they're net rated together as far as Mikhail Bridges, DeAndre, and Devin Booker sharing the force around a plus 16 and a half over 100 plus minutes so far. So that sample size is going up more and more by the game. And it's continuing to show that those three guys together on the four bring some really excellent value together. And really, it's their best trio by far on the roster. So what's that growth for the Suns over that, really over the past few weeks of those three guys? Because if anything, even though the record's not showing it at 4 and 15, those three guys together are continuing to prove that the future might be really bright for this team. Yeah, I think Bridges fits perfectly. And I think that's been like big picture, like you said, one of the biggest, best parts of watching this season kind of go down is just they really nailed the fit at the very least between those three players um, to go all in on Bridges the way that they did, giving up what really was, you know, two first round picks. Um and having him just blossom and look so perfect is is great. And I think the other thing that really helps that I wanted to mention too, he's just another kind of factor in this. He's not the only reason, but he just creates so many easy shots with his cutting and his knockdown spot up shooting. 
you know, he's a pretty good bet. And when the ball gets in his hands, because it's not there very often, um, it's going to go in, it's going to be a layup or a three. And those are obviously the, the best kinds of shots to take. So you mentioned them ball moving a little bit less with Booker. And I think Bridges is kind of a reason there too. He's not somebody who's going to just overthink it and pound it. If he gets the ball, he's making a quick decision. And a lot of the time that's going to result in a score. The Suns are 25th in passes per game over the past six games. And that's after leading the league in that category for the majority of, I, I didn't, I stopped checking like every night, but I think it was the first 10 to 12 games of the season. They were at the very top and now um, they're down maybe like fourth or fifth overall, but in these past six down to 25th. So it's a lot of change quietly from what Kokoshkov I think went into the season expecting, but overall I think you can't argue with the results that it's working. And I think the players on this roster, the guys, especially in that starting lineup are benefiting from it. And I think, you know, they'd be smart to kind of watch what's made it so effective and really try to maximize that. And I think bridges is a big part of it. Outside of those three of Booker, Aiden and bridges, I'd be remiss not to ask over this past six game stretch where the Suns really shown some massive improvements and not talk about Josh Jacks because I rightfully so was a little critical of him. I wrote a story a couple weeks ago on bright side of the sun about his future in Phoenix and why his recent play has been really, really concerning about his development. But over the past six games, Brendan, he's averaged 17.4 minutes, and he did, he played 24 minutes on, on Sunday. So expect those minutes to go up more and more, in my opinion, because he needs minutes. But he averaged 8.3 points, but he's he's shooting 41% from the field, 45% from three on a small sample size. But the turnovers are down, 1.3 turnovers, and also 2,017 minutes. So – it seems like Josh Jackson's playing more and more within himself, which is really good to see over this stretch. And if anything, if we're trying to look for small proofs that with Josh Jackson, who was a top four pick in the 2017 in the 2017 draft, maybe like some baby steps going forward, like watching his progress in that sort of way is the way to go. Because I think he's slowly starting to get it. And I think that Igor started tapping down a little bit more and more. Yeah, it's it's super frustrating that he's been a player through two seasons or, you know, one one and a quarter seasons, whatever you want to call it, that he it just has to kind of get to rock bottom before it occurs to him that there needs to be a change made. You know, it's frustrating to have those peaks and valleys. I'm sh- you know, as a follower of the team, as somebody who covers the team, as a fan, I'm but I'm especially sure for him, you know, you just hate that it has to get to that point to get all the way bad before it gets any better. That that's not the way to have a consistent successful career in any field. So you hope it doesn't get to that. Maybe that it stays like this for the remainder of the year and he can really make some progress that we were hoping for. But overall, you know, he's been a really positive impact and maybe that's partially because the roster is so thin and it's kind of like, you know, the best, the best out of a bunch of bad options is going to look pretty good. But um, I think especially compared to the, the the level he set for himself, he's completely exceeded expectations and kind of come back to where I was hoping just be an energy guy, get to the rim, make some plays on both ends and, you know, just affect the game with his energy, with his athleticism. And that's the best thing to see from him. Do you think going forward, at least in the short term, until maybe a trade's made, maybe maybe it's not, but at least during the point book portion of the season that we're on right now, do you think Jax's minutes should be around where it was on Sunday, around 20 to 25 minutes per game, or do you think it should be more around like 
17 to 20 minutes per game and allow guys like Bruce and Ariza to keep in more minutes. Yeah. I mean, I think from in Detroit, you know, I think maybe it was a little bit inflated because of Warren being out. I would say somewhere around 20 um, just because I hope that even if Kanan does is kind of eliminated from the rotation, those 20 ish minutes go mostly to Melton or Okobo or both. Um, but you know, if Jackson got some of a majority of those, I wouldn't complain either because I think that's one more part of his game that hasn't really come along still. There's been flashes the last few games of kind of what he looked like in the preseason as a ball handler, but giving him more opportunities to do that now that he seems a little bit more confident and is playing within himself a little bit more, I think there's still more to be tapped there and giving him some of those opportunities even if Warren obviously is playing many more than 15 minutes going forward, I think there's still a way to get him there, but maybe more around 20 is what I would predict. Yeah. I think you make make a good point. There were TJ Warren. He was ejected on in Sunday's game, like we mentioned earlier. So him playing 24 minutes might've been a little bit more inflated, but we see a lot of changes and a lot of improvement, Brennan, over the six game stretch. They, even though they were two and four, there's a lot of positive take away from this stretch and, any general thoughts you wanted to have on that stretch before we go on to his episode and how the possibly the Suns could really bit off this this really week or two stretch that they're currently on? No, I mean I think that playing coming back home, I mean, doing this on the road is equally impressive as the, you know, overall improvements. Just to be able to to do it kind of on the fly, traveling across the East Coast is pretty impressive. But they have Indiana and Orlando, two teams kind of right around five hundred at home this week and the Clippers, which is going to be a tough one, of course, on a back-to-back too. But besides the Clippers game, I think both of those are winnable at home and um, a bunch of weird East coast games, right. Or Eastern conference games right in a row, which is a little bizarre, kind of tough to game plan for, because those aren't teams you're familiar with. But if the Suns keep playing like this, I think that they'll be right on track to win some of those rather than just, you know, celebrating the fact that they kept it close. Do you think maybe just more broadly to today's episode that we see teams like the Hawks and the Bulls and really almost the Knicks once they start playing more of these young guys who are going to start to, I think, pull the plug more and more as each month progresses toward the tank more so than actually trying to win games. And I think we're both in the green burn that we don't see the Suns doing that anytime soon. So maybe the Suns could really put some separation between themselves, between teams like them with Cleveland, Atlanta, and Chicago over the next few months. Yeah, I think the Suns are absolutely fine with picking ninth if they have to. Um, They're fine sacrificing some of those lottery balls for some wins. They've, I think, you know, we're all kind of ready for that step, especially with, it'd be one thing if it was like Jamal Crawford putting up 20 a game out of nowhere and you're, you know, it's unsustainable and not helping you for the future. This is good you know, really internal growth where Aiton Booker and Bridges all look so good. That's a pretty solid core. And so, you know, you don't necessarily need to intentionally game it to try to go get RJ Barrett or Zion Williamson. Obviously it's great to add those players and they're all, they'll all fit together if they need to. But um, I think the easy schedule coming to in January and February um, represents a, a light at the edge of the horizon too, where even more than what they're going through now, they'll be able to rack up some wins. Alrighty, guys, that'll do for today's episode. We're going to be back with you guys tomorrow for our next episode, which is actually the recap for the Indiana Pacers game. It's a matchup I'm looking forward to because 
Victor Oladipo and those guys, Demontis Sabonis, could be a really good match for DeAndre, in my opinion. Also, Miles Turner. So I think it's, there's a lot of intriguing matches in this one. They're both, at least over the past week or so, Brian, they're pretty evenly matched. Is there anything you're really looking forward to as far as tomorrow's game goes against the Pacers? Uh, Oladipo and Booker, it's going to be super fun. They're very different players, but obviously both some of the best shooting guards in the league. We don't get to see them play each other very often. So obviously that's the big matchup. I'm excited for it. Yeah, that'll be a fun one, folks. That'll be it for today's episode. We'll be back with the guests tomorrow night for our next episode.